Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you know what the Cavs fans are calling the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt? What? Sexland. Oh, that's good. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. With me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? Going well. Um, we got uh, we got a uh, Heat uh, Bucks uh, or Heat Bucks, ooh, uh, ooh. Heat Celts uh, running in the background, rip, rip and piece rap uh, Bucks. Uh, <laughs> but we've got a uh, playoffs in the background, um, and uh, we got a very good guest on the on the line to talk caps. So I'm yes, excited. we do. I am incredibly excited to welcome Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com, also the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Chris, how are you doing today? Guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No problem. Super excited to have you on here, and I'm going to start it off by interrogating you and grilling you. Chris, <laughs> tell me how tall Kevin Porter Jr. is, because, I mean, at this point, it's a running bit with the podcast. We have to ask anyone that's been around the team, but I, I want to know, like, especially because the it's such a guard-heavy team, and if this guy can actually play the wing and is as tall as he seems to look, uh, that feels like a big deal to me. So I think he's taller than his listed 6'4". I actually asked this specific question to assistant general manager Mike Ganzi because he's about 6'6", six 6'7", foot six, six foot and I said, like, when you talk to KPJ, do you stand eye-to-eye with him? Are you taller than him? Is he taller than you? 
And so I think he's right around Mike Gansey's height, maybe a little bit smaller than that. It's just so hard with KPJ because his hair makes it so difficult to gauge just how tall he is. I feel like that gives him an extra advantage that people don't account for. A Um, well-earned advantage. Great hair. So, by the way, it's like – it's not just you guys who are wondering this about KPJ. Teammates have asked me the same question, and I've asked teammates the same question because I think everybody at this point is convinced that there's no way that he's his listed six foot four. He's taller than that. He has to be. Right. I mean, I completely agree. Him, him and Sexton are cheaters. Let's call it what it is. They, they have the tall <laughs> hair. And I, I mean, I, I think sometimes the, the obsession with height can be a little overstated. Like I, I think length is more important because you don't defend people with your forehead. Um, we, we see it all the time. Like Houston's a great example of that. And part of why I think Colin Sexton um, can kind of last as a two is that freakish six, eight wingspan he has. Like, I, I, right. I think there's potential there, but uh, it, it is interesting though, because Kevin Porter Jr. does seem like a guy that has kind of the guard skill set, but can play on the wing. So when it comes to evaluating the future, that that's why I feel like it's so important to to kind of figure out exactly what he is. And he's stronger. Um, he's got a big muscular frame. And like you said, with Colin Sexton, has a longer wingspan. KPJ's wingspan is about six foot nine too. Um, but, but it's something that you have to take into account because if he's going to guard threes or if they're going to try and play him at different positions and they talk about positional versatility and how much that matters to team building and how much it matters in the big picture of what they're trying to do here, um, you have to take all those things into account. Yeah. So, Chris, you've hinted at this um, via your tech service, via tweets, via your stories, but I don't know if you've ever come out right out and said it, but is KPJ the most valued uh, member of this young core by this Cavs organization? Because you kind of wouldn't think that would be the case. They got two very, very high draft picks. Uh, uh, one in Colin Sexton, who's actually producing at a very high level. But every time you talk mm-hmm. about KPJ, he's kind of treated as the crown jewel for them. Is that the case? Yes, it is. And that's how he's viewed, not just by members of the organization in the front office, but that's how he's viewed by coaches. And that's how his teammates view him as well. Um, The Cavs have been excited about KPJ for more than a year now. Uh, They started scouting him at the Nike Hoop Summit. I wrote about this for Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer and a profile piece that I did on KPJ. The marriage between the Cavs and KPJ was more than a year in the making. Um, I had conversations with people inside the organization and around the NBA leading up to last year's draft. And I think it was the worst kept secret in the entire league. The Cavs loved KPJ. And if, if there was an opportunity for them to get him that they felt like made sense, they were going to do it. I remember talking to members of the organization leading into the draft, and they kept saying the same thing, top five talent, top five talent. And that didn't mean that he was going to go top five, but that's how they viewed him because mm-hmm. of his skill set because of his size, because of his versatility, because of all of the things that they saw from him in high school, then in the one year at USC. And Kobe Altman, the general manager of the Cavs, formed a really good relationship with KPJ during his freshman season at USC. They texted back and forth. Kobe talked to him throughout the entire season. Uh, Kobe went to campus, watched some practices. The Cavs have formed a really good relationship with the USC program and head coach Andy Enfield, 
Um, so they were able to get access to him and access to people around him. And they did all their due diligence and they just felt like if we give him the structure, if we give him the coaching, if we point him in the right direction, the tools are there, the talent is there. And if he lives up to it, we've got the foundation piece. And I think when you start listing the young players that the Cavs have accumulated over the last couple of years, at the top of that is KPJ. And, and I think there's a big gap between him and the two other ones being Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. Like when any trade conversation comes up with the Cavs, the one untouchable in this organization is KPJ. Not one Kevin Love? <laughs> no, not Sorry. Kevin Love. <laughs> they'll Sorry. look him for the right package. If some team actually wants to give them something of value, they'll be willing to do it. But they're certainly not going to salary dump him, and they're most certainly not going to add picks to it like other teams around the NBA have been asking them to do for Kevin. Yeah, I'm no sorry. Kidding. I'm they're, they're not in a they're not in a position <laughs> to be giving up assets. Carter, that was a great one. I I actually I had just thought of this when you were talking about it because I I agreed. I, I said before the season I thought KPJ was the highest ceiling guy just because of how important wings are to the modern NBA, um, yep. and and I really felt that he was kind of that top ten talent. But it I I wonder if you'd be able to provide some insight on this on draft night. Obviously they had two first round picks before KPJ and Windler went. And I mean, I, we we've heard uh, we're, we're not anywhere near as connected as you, but like I've heard people mention that uh, Golden State was thinking about maybe taking Windler if he fell or yep. um, like obviously Woj can like tweet five, six picks ahead. And I assume teams kind of have a sense for where things are going. Is it just kind of like an order operations where they valued KPG higher, but um, Windler still went before, like how, how did that work out? So the Cavs felt like KPJ was a top five talent. And if there was an opportunity for them to get him, they were going to do it. But they also knew that some of the other guys that they coveted, including Dylan Windler at the back end of the first round, um, was coveted by more teams in that range than KPJ was. Mm. So they felt like they could take that chance and they felt like they had to go with Dylan first because like you said, um, Golden State was interested in Dylan. The intel that the Cavs had pointed to the San Antonio Spurs being interested in Dylan as well. Oh, and God, if you I look feel at he's teams, such a Spurs player. <laughs> right? Isn't he? Like, he's built for the San Antonio Spurs. If you think of Dylan Windler, you think of the Spurs. So <laughs> the Cavs obviously did their homework, and, and they looked at the teams that were drafting in the back half of the first round, um, and they were like, wow, a lot of those teams are going to take players like Dylan. Um, not a lot of those teams are going to be comfortable with KPJ because, look, like there was some off-the-court stuff, real off-the-court stuff, um, that teams had to sift through with KPJ. There, mm -hmm. there were teams in the NBA that simply would not draft him because of the intel was so poor. Um, mm -hmm. And he had a bad first year at USC. Uh, I think it's well documented, but there were some things that were going on behind the scenes with head coach Andy Enfield. Uh, their relationship was not good. It still isn't good, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, so I think all of those factors contributed to the Cavs saying, like, we can wait because not as many teams uh, where we're picking are going to be interested in him as they are in Dylan, who is a more safe pick. So something that, you know, we've, now that we've kind of acknowledged that the Cavs view KPJ the way they do, all of a sudden it sort of throws off um, kind of our internal understandings of 
what this team was building around. I mean, they started sex land pretty much the entire season uh, <laughs> uh, last year. Uh, and even through Darius Garland's, you know, pretty, pretty well-documented up and down season. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you kind of expect them to do with that lineup? Because it would, based on production, you would kind of think Sexton and KPJ probably performed at the highest level, but the lineup data for those two was pretty ugly uh, as a, as a backcourt. Yeah. What sense do you get from the organization of like, does, does the fact that they value KPJ the way they do mean a starting lineup uh, spot is in his future? I guess is the, is a short way of saying what I said in a lot more words. Yeah. I was about to say, that's a lot of words there to do a short mm-hmm. way, Carter, but continue. Mm-hmm. Chris. <laughs> Guys, I don't think it's immediate. I think it's something that they're going to let play out. Maybe they're going to look at KPJ and say, the energy that he brings, the skill set that he brings, uh, the things that make him such a great player are better in the short term coming off the bench. Or maybe they're going to look at him and say, all of those things that he brings, better in a starting lineup. I think that's to be determined. Um, the, the hard thing about the season ending when it did, guys, is that the Cavs were going to experiment for the final four or five weeks of the regular season. They were going to try KPJ at the one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they were going to bring Darius Garland off the bench. I don't know that for sure, but I had heard the possibility of something along those lines. Uh, they were going to try and work Andre Drummond in there and see how it worked with a legitimate prototypical big um, that was supposed to help with their process when it came to potentially drafting James Wiseman or one of these other bigs in this upcoming draft. So they were just looking for answers. And and obviously the more data you have, the better answer you're going to come up with. Um, And I think they're going to use this off season. They're going to use training camp whenever that starts. They're going to use all of that information that they collect to determine what's best moving forward. I just never got the sense that the organization feels like they need that figured out now. Like I never got the sense that they said, okay, we need to know right away after year one, if Darius and Colin is going to work as a backcourt tandem. I think Mm -hmm. they feel like that's going to happen organically or not happen organically. And they've got time to figure those things out. But, But the interesting thing, I think the most interesting thing In conversations that I have with people around the organization, the majority of them, if not all of them, including coaches, view KPJ as a two, not a three. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fascinating when you think about the backcourt dynamic moving forward. That that is absolutely fascinating. And it's part part of why I was happy to see the Cavs kind of fall out of LaMelo Ball's range is I I do believe in these three guys. Like I'd like to see them get a little bit of a shot and uh, obviously a lot of kind of the messaging that we, we've heard from the front office is they expect to kind of turn the gears towards winning next season. And, and to me, what mm-hmm. that kind of represented is we actually have like a bunch of young guys here. They're all going to get minutes, but uh, the, the patterns that we saw, uh, especially with JB Bickerstaff was you get your set 25 minutes, but who closes the games is based on who's mm-hmm. playing the best. We're going to create a culture of accountability. When, when, yes. you, when you think, uh, what, what's, I guess the best way to ask this is, what's your interpretation of the Cavs going to win now mode? Is it just, we're going to give these young guys reps, but it's going to be about accountability. It's not just going to be open run like we saw at times during the Kyrie uh, era before LeBron, or do you think they're actually going to start making win now type moves where maybe they're moving on from some of this young talent to, to try to make a playoff run? 
think it's a combination of both. I think they're willing to make win now moves if those present themselves. Mm-hmm. If they could get a help now piece for the fifth overall pick and something else, I think they would do it. Um, yeah. The question is, who is that piece? Um, a lot of teams are trying to figure out what direction they're going to go in this crazy off season, and they're trying to figure out how much revenue loss is going to be um, league-wide, and then do they have to make cost-cutting maneuvers based off of that. Um, but if they could get a help now piece, I think they would be willing to do that. I, I don't, I don't want to say that they're comfortable with the young core that they've built. Um, mm-hmm. They still want to add to it. But I think they're comfortable enough if the right deal presents itself for a piece that makes sense for their timeline that they would move the fifth overall pick or they would get out of the draft completely if that's an opportunity that presented itself. Um, On top of that, I think you bring up a really good point in terms of the playing time, in terms of accountability. Because honestly, early on, whether it was fair or not, that was the biggest point of contention with Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. There were players in that locker room that felt like he was granted playing time, not because he earned it, but because he was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving trade and he was the fresh face of the rebuild. And they were looking at it saying there are other guys in this locker room that have done more on the court, that have earned it more. They should be getting that playing time, not Colin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Cavs probably learned from that. I think the players in the locker room probably learned patience from the whole Colin Sexton thing. And I think you got a sense that the players were more patient with Darius Garland this past year. I think you got a sense that they were more patient with Kevin Porter Jr. And I think because of what Colin Sexton had to go through and the players had to go through during that stretch, that helped Darius and that helped KPJ when they were going through struggles at times. But J.B. Bickerstaff showed it in, in his brief time as head coach. Even with Andre Drummond, he was sitting on the bench in some fourth quarters for Tristan Thompson. And those are the kinds of things that players are going to buy into. And those are the kinds of things that coaches have to do when you're talking about building a sustainable culture. Speaking, I mean, of, yeah, uh, speaking of Drummond, uh, he's had a bit of a weird offseason. And uh, what felt like, I mean, if you had told me Andre Drummond was having a weird offseason, I'd be like, why? Because <laughs> everything felt like such a formality where – he was gonna, you know, he was gonna pick up his player option, and then he'd either, you know, get traded or, uh, you know, consider a, a, an extension next summer. And mm-hmm. kind of been in the news a little bit more than I would have expected. Uh, he's not gonna be at uh, at minicamp. Uh, if I, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong there. What, what's going That's on great. with him? Because I certainly uh, am a little confused as to why there's any narrative around him uh, beyond he picked up his option. It's fair to wonder about this. But but I've been told that Andre wanted to be at this minicamp coming up. He has a personal issue that he has to deal with that's preventing that. The Cavs also had kind of a trial two-week minicamp to get ready for this bubble. They had it at Cleveland Clinic Courts where a lot of the guys from out of town came back in town and they did individual work at Cleveland Clinic Courts and they had to adhere to the parameters that were set in place by the NBA. So it wasn't scrimmaging. It wasn't a team-oriented thing. It was completely voluntary. Andre was back for that. And he's been connecting with JB Biggerstaff on Zoom calls. Um, He's been talking with members of the front office constantly. So he has been engaged, maybe not to the level that other guys inside the organization who are under contract have been, 
Like he hasn't gone to the practice facility every single day and gotten work every single day like some of the other guys. Um, and, and there are players in that locker room that would want him to do that, thinking, hey, look, this is a guy we acquired in February. He only played eight games with us. He should be trying to do everything he can to fit in, get to know us, put in the work, put in the time, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that number can't happened. be right. It felt like at least triple that. <laughs> That's crazy that he only played eight games. That eight is games? Be- Think about that. That doesn't feel accurate. He dealt with a little bit of an injury, too. He's yeah. a lifelong Cavalier as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Him and Dwayne Wade, uh, Cavaliers right there. Um, I, I do want to circle back to the team building uh, conversation because I, I actually do find it encouraging because um, one thing we've kind of been talking about in this offseason, I mean, God, we, we might have a year-long offseason here for the Cavs, so there's a lot of time for reflection. But looking at, like, even the final eight teams in the NBA – a lot of them don't have, like, Boston's basically the only one that really drafted any players high. Uh, Utah, Denver, Toronto, Miami, all of these guys basically have no real lottery picks. And to hear that there's going to be a shift, like, I understand that there is baggage that comes with being a Cleveland fan. I absolutely get that. And sometimes, like, you have to have that mental that you don't get disappointed when you stay disappointed. Um, but like when they're talking about, all right, we're going to create a culture of accountability. We're, we're going to have these guys uh, work towards winning and we're going to live and die by their kind of internal growth. To me, that feels like the right way to go about it because especially with the new lottery odds, I think you just kind of have to develop whatever talent you have and hope that the, the pieces work out there. You either consolidate that talent that you developed in trades cash in for a Kawhi Leonard or um, who, who knows like there's so many options that open up when your team looks competent and the players look better I think that's a good point and I think it also just ties into where this organization is I think that matters in this conversation as well you know if they had a bunch of cap space and they could be active in free agency or they could take on a big contract in a trade then maybe it's a little bit different right Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they're not in that position. They, they've used a lot of draft capital on Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Colin Sexton, Dylan Windler. Uh, they re-signed Kevin Love at the very beginning of this thing. They traded for Andre Drummond, believing that there was a high probability of him opting into his contract and taking away any salary cap space that they were going to have. Um, so I think th- that all plays into it as well. Um, if, if we were having this conversation a couple of years ago, obviously the direction is different. The approach is different, but mm-hmm. we're not, we're having this conversation now in year three of this rebuild and it's time to not hit the all in button because they're not in a position to be an all in team, but it's time to make some real tangible progress. And the only way for them based on their salary cap situation the number of roster spots they have available and the tradable assets, really the, the, the biggest way for them to make a step forward is internal growth and coaching being a lot better than what it has been in this rebuild. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, you have Kevin Love and Andre Drummond that are established talents. They're former all-stars, but they're big men. They really do rely on the play of the guards 
uh, and the perimeter mm -hmm. players to to feed them and get them going. Um, so I, I personally, like, I'm comfortable with the approach. Like, I, I think if you're in a situation where these guys, the young guys, are initiating the the offense, and if they're if they overachieve, if these guys take offseason leaps, and all of a sudden this team's actually in a playoff uh, contention, which I, I feel is unlikely, but it, that's what would be necessary to get there then you have your cornerstone pieces. Then, then you're okay. Like, well, there's no real concern there. And if it wins you a few more games, the new lottery odds kind of even things out. Do you get the sense that with this mini camp, um, their evaluation of where these players are at, is that going to go into their approach to this offseason and draft? Because it's kind of a unique bonus from COVID. If there is a bright side, they get to see what each of these guys look like essentially after an off season before they draft. Do, do you think that's going to impact uh, their, their decision-making there? Not significantly, but I understand what you're saying. It is an opportunity to see what Darius Garland looks like now versus at the end of March. And it's an opportunity to do the same thing with Dylan Windler, who they haven't seen since last year's summer league and, and what he's going to mean for them moving forward is a mystery, but at one point last season, they were looking at him as projecting as the small forward taking the place of Jetty Osman in the starting lineup. Like, do they still view him that way? Can they still view him that way? That's something that they have to figure out. I don't think they're going to get that answer coming up in this mini camp bubble that they're going into, but the more data you have, the more you can collect, the better your answer is going to be, I would say. But in terms of the draft coming up, I don't think it has any impact, guys, to be honest with you. Um, I think the bottom line is at number five, the Cavs are either going to take the best big or the best wing, uh, depending on how their board lines up and who's taken in the four picks in front of them. And the only way that they would take a guard, in my estimation, at number five is if LaMelo or Anthony Edwards falls to five. And that's just not a scenario that I really see playing out with Chicago being at four and needing a pass-first guard to help out Kobe White. Yeah, that, that feels insanely unlikely. I, I think the only one out of the top three that really kind of has a chance to fall is Wiseman. I mean, um, Kevin O'Connor, I think he had his uh, mock draft today, and it was um, Edwards, Denny, he had a two, which kind of was surprising, but I, I can see with the Warriors. Uh, ben Ball, and then Chicago sitting there. I don't think they're going to take another big, so... It, it'll be interesting to see how the Cavs approach this draft and how they add talent. But if you are a business and you're looking to add talent, Indeed has you covered. Oh boy. Even though, even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that means makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only need to pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit bonus to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Carter, who else is helping us out here? Justin, before, I just thought that was a great segue. I think Thank sometimes, you. you know, you can be a little heavy-handed and a little over the top, but I thought that was really natural. I think the, I think the, I think our sponsors are going to love that. <laughs> Thank you, Carter. <laughs> uh, 
Justin, the wait is finally over. Football is back, and uh, so is my screaming daughter in the next room, apparently, if you can hear that. You, yes, may, you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get it on every possible chance to win this season. I started out 0 3 in the NFL this year, so maybe I shouldn't be on it. From game spreads to, and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Chris, I do want to know, I know you kind of talked about how uh, you know these mini-camp activities probably won't have much, acti- much effect on uh, mm-hmm. who they're drafting, and you said a wing, which makes sense, uh, and a big, mm-hmm. which I think maybe some Cavs fans might be a little thrown off by. <laughs> if, if, if a James Wiseman or uh, Okongwu are the picks uh, at the five, what does mm-hmm. that mean for uh, Andre Drummond? And, uh, and also, connected tissue, he's not currently a Cavalier, he's a free agent, but what would that mean for their plans with Tristan Thompson? Yeah, I don't think it would be good news for either guy to be honest with you. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why the Cavs are in a position where they are considering a big. Um, because one, I've been told that the plan is to not play Kevin Love back-to-backs in the 2020-2021 season. Mm-hmm. So they're preparing for Kevin to play, I don't know, between 55 and 65 games, something like that. So they need more minutes there. They lost Dante Zizic. Um, he obviously signed overseas. They could lose Tristan Thompson. And Andre Drummond is highly likely to pick up his options still. But if you're projecting forward, like as it stands right now, the Cavs' front court seems to be one of the strengths of the team, especially given what they've committed to these guys already. Nance under contract, Kevin Love under contract. Drummond's going to be here. Um, but if you projected forward, Tristan could be gone. Drummond could be gone at the end of next season. Who knows when it comes to Kevin Love, they would trade him if the right package comes along. So suddenly a strength of the team could turn into a glaring hole really quick if you look close enough. So that's why they would consider Wiseman. That's why they would consider Big O from USC. That's why they'd consider Obi Toppin at number five as well. Um, Because it's all about their planning into the future. Uh, but if they took Wiseman at five, if he was there at five, then the chances of re-signing Andre Drummond to a long-term extension, I would say diminish greatly because the investment that you make in him um, just wouldn't be worth it after using draft capital on somebody that same position. Maybe this is needlessly circular thinking, but you know, I think uh, among some Cavs fans who maybe aren't as big of fans of Andre Drummond, there's a there's a very serious fear that they're going to overpay to keep him. Yeah. Uh, given that answer, that you know they they would take a, a Wiseman or a, or a potentially an Okongwu, uh, in spite of his presence on the roster, does that kind of say anything about their long term commitment to him? Uh, or do you think there is still a world in which they sign him to uh, a deal that might make some Cavs fans a little bit queasy? I keep going back and forth on this one, guys, because here's the thing. When it comes to any decision that's made by this organization, um, the person that's making that decision or signing off on that decision 
is Dan Gilbert. Mm-hmm. And when Dan Gilbert is there, he is the ultimate wild card. And it's very, very difficult to dismiss him doing anything like that, including giving Andre Drummond a huge contract when nobody else in the NBA would give him that kind of contract. Um, By the way, Dan Gilbert has gone on record already um, over the last couple of weeks about how excited, or the last couple of months, I should say, about how excited he was about the Cavs acquiring Drummond. He's a big fan of Drummond, the person. They've worked together um, doing some charity stuff in Detroit when Drummond was with the Pistons. And obviously Dan knows the Pistons really, really well. So because he lingers over this decision, I think it is possible uh, that the Cavs give him an extension. Um, but but I, I just, I think there are too many smart people inside the organization that recognize the value of a big like Drummond that understands it would almost be franchise suicide to give him any kind of deal between 20 and $30 million a year when you have so much committed in Kevin Love already. Um, mm-hmm. And when the league is going so far away from guys like Drummond, like, look, if you're going to get James Wiseman on a team friendly rookie deal, that's one thing. Maybe you can develop him into something like Andre Drummond, or maybe even more than Andre Drummond, if he can extend his game out to the perimeter, mm-hmm. like that's one thing, but committing 20 to $30 million to a guy who doesn't fit in today's era and doesn't contribute to winning in the way that you would want from a player like that and can't be the focal point of your team if you're hoping to be a championship contender or a playoff contender, like that's extremely dangerous. And I feel like there are enough smart people in the organization that see that. Chris, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I seem to remember uh, Andre Drummond taking about uh, nine threes for 36 minutes as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> Just ask him. He's a three-point threat. He'll tell you. Yeah, he's a, he's a stretch five. Um, it, it, was, it was funny because Carter gave me shit for this at the time, but uh, I, I had wanted Drummond. Uh, I had mentioned him back in January because I, I thought getting a, a pick and roll Whoa, threat- whoa, whoa. No one gave you shit for that. I just implied <laughs> you never made the made the suggestion in the first place because yeah, I and, and wasn't I on gave, that podcast. And then I that's very the different than me being opposed to the trade. All right, all right, that's fair. But uh, especially because Sexton, Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., those guys are all pick and roll strong players, which was right. kind of one of my gripes with Bayline was they didn't really do a lot of pick and roll. It was all handoffs and things that weren't really in their comfort zone. To me, they didn't do uh, a lot of anything. Very, very fair point. Uh, to, to me, the, the Dan Gilbert point is interesting because we, we had Ken Carmen on the podcast during the season and, and we were kind of taking stock of how, how we feel about Gilbert. And like, on the one hand, I'm okay with a little bit of wild card because one, it makes the team interesting, which isn't always the case in small markets. And his willingness to spend can help mm-hmm. erase mistakes. And it also is what prevents us from being like Indiana, where if you do develop the talent, you're not going to keep it together. Um, but with Drummond, I'm okay with an extension if it was the length of Kevin Love's contract. My big thing is I wouldn't want to see an extension this offseason. I would rather see him re-sign next summer because at least then you have this Andre Drummond trade chip at the deadline to at least evaluate what your options are. You can stay flexible. And mm-hmm. when te- when teams are looking to clear cap space for a loaded free agency class, 
I feel like having yep. Andre Drummond as a rental to close out your season, plus getting that much money off the books, is a hell of a chip for the Cavs to have. And uh, if just from an asset management standpoint, it's it's a situation where I'd like to, to see them waited out a bit, but I'm not necessarily opposed to keeping them around, at least for the development of the young guards. Completely agree with the fact of using him potentially as a trade chip because you're right. Like there are teams that are loading up for 2021 free agency and the teams that aren't there monetarily are going to try and get there right before the deadline. And his contract is a way to do that. If the Cavs would be willing to take on a salary that's equal, but extends a little bit longer. And if they get a sweetener in return in form of draft pick or a young player or something like that. So yes, you're right. That, that would make, a lot of sense, but but the downside to that from the Cavs' perspective is like we run the danger of losing him for nothing in free agency, and if he gets to free agency in 2021 and teams have all this money and only mm-hmm. one team can get Giannis, and who knows what's going to happen with Anthony Davis, then those teams that strike out on the big guys, um, the big market players, they're going to go to that next tier and the next tier and the next tier, and they're going to overpay somebody like Drummond. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Drummond knows that. I think his agent knows that. I think the Cavs know that. So I think if he were to hit free agency in 21, I don't think he's back. So I think that's why if there is any push for the Cavs to do an extension before that happens, I think that would be what would be driving it. Hmm. That, that's interesting. And I guess by extension, if you don't see an extension from Drummond, you can probably assume that they're, they're going to try to move him in the during the season, which, I mean, it, it's really interesting. And I, the financial aspects with the team, they're going to get complicated in the near future. Like one, one of the revelations I've had, because I, I was hard on Colin Sexton when the, he was first drafted. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a big fan of the pick. And I mean, you look at him uh, after the Jordan Clarkson trade. So a 46-game sample size. You're talking about 23 points a game, three and a half assists, incredibly efficient. Uh, You look at his age 21 season compared to a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who's the same size and length, and he's scoring more efficiently than him. I I always say we rush to have second contract conversations with players. And I, I think that's been something that's unfair with Sexton. It's Let's figure out what he becomes before we like box him into a role. But they all of a sudden have to have those second contract conversations because they have, he's going to be eligible for an extension at the end of next year. Do you get a sense of what the Cavs expect from him beyond the scoring? Like what, what would they like to see the most growth in for him to earn a sizable extension, which I, I think he's getting either way if he continues to score like this. So first of all, um, I think that's a great point, and I've written about this numerous times on Cleveland.com, and I'm just trying to bring awareness to the fact Colin Sexton is going to get a contract north of $100 million. And I know that he's really polarizing, and there are going to be some people that say he's not worth that kind of deal. He's getting that. If, If it's not from the Cavs, some other team is going to give it to him. Mm-hmm. Um, the trajectory that he's on is very, very similar to Jamal Murray with the Denver Nuggets. At the time that Jamal mm-hmm. Murray got the contract extension that he did, the max, like he wasn't putting up Colin Sexton numbers. Right. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't. Not yet. He was a shade below that. 
but it, Denver's uh, like, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but uh, it's funny you mentioned Murray because Murray was a guy I, I brought up uh, actually in Garland comparisons where um, Jamal had the same thing where he wasn't quite healthy his rookie season. He actually had a worse season right. than Darius. And it's a, uh, hey, let's give it some time when a guy looks like a shooter. Because, I mean, Darius Garland kind of has the same thing where it's like that jumper's got to be good at some point. Yep. But if you think about what the Nuggets said, they said, look, this is a guy that we've invested in. We've used top 10 capital on him. We've put him through our player development program. We've spent hours in the gym working with him. We know him. Um, we're not paying him based on what he's done already. We're paying him based on what we think he can be in the future. And the Cavs would look at Colin Sexton the same way. Yes, it would be a combination of what he's already done. There were 27 other players in the NBA that averaged 20 points per game. I mean, Colin Sexton was in that mix. At the time that everything stopped in March, over three, four weeks, he was one of the better players in the Eastern Conference. Um, but it's also the person that he is mm-hmm. and what he means to this organization from that standpoint. And he's a guy that they were willing to bet on in 2018. And they're going to offer him a contract extension unless something crazy happens between now and next off season. And it's going to be north of $100 million. It's going to be Jamal Murray type money. It's going to be Buddy Heald type money. It's going to be Jalen Brown type money. Um, and I think a lot of people can argue back and forth on, on whether Colin deserves that. But the trajectory that he's on puts him in the conversation with those guys. The trajectory mm-hmm. that he's on puts him in the conversation with Bradley Beal at the time that he got his big deal and D'Angelo Russell and those kinds of guys. It's just the economics in the NBA. So that has to be on everybody's radar. That is coming next off season. Um, and the Cavs are going to spend, they're going to have to spend the next year figuring out whether Colin and Darius works together, what kind of player Colin is ultimately, and if he's worth that kind of investment. And all indications to me are they're willing to make that investment in him if he continues on this trajectory. I was yeah. about to ask that question specifically, Chris, is, is you know, you, we talk about, yeah, they're going to give that number. And yeah, it's going to be a, a, a number that's a little bigger than maybe, you know, your rank and file fan would get. Do you think the Cavs are going to hold their nose while they, while they sign that deal? Or do you think they're <laughs> going to do it happily? So they love Colin. Um, this is a guy that they loved at the time of the NBA draft. Uh, He uplifted the entire organization. He came in for a workout the day after the Cavs got swept in the NBA finals against Golden State. Nobody wanted to be there. Everybody was pissed off. Colin comes and he just sparked a life in the organization. Dan Gilbert tweeted about it. Didn't specifically point him out, but tweeted about it. Kobe Altman was there, got a new jolt of energy. And they just had a great feeling about him, the player and the person when they left that workout with Colin. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think all of the things they want this organization to be from an intangible perspective, Colin brings. Toughness, work ethic, attitude, coachability, those things matter to them. The Cavs call them the controllables. He has all the controllables and he's starting to put the production with that. I think, like, I think it becomes difficult because sometimes in these situations, guys, 
it becomes hard for the organization that drafts him um, to take a little bit of bias out of it. There is an attachment to Colin, but they have to look at it from a clear-eyed perspective of like, what is his true value going forward? And I know there are some in the organization that still feel like he's a sixth man going forward. And those guys can be really beneficial, but those guys are also very difficult sometimes to fit when it comes to team building. So they have to look at it from a clear-eyed perspective, honestly, about can this guy be a starting guard in the NBA that gives us 30 to 34 minutes of winning basketball? And I think that's ultimately what's going to determine like whether they plug their nose or not. And I, but at this point, like, I think, I think they like him enough where they wouldn't regret that type of move. Yeah. It's, I mean, the work ethic is the biggest thing. And especially in a market like Cleveland, you want guys that want to be there. And I, to me, next year is going to be the most interesting season for Sexton because I feel like what differentiates him from a, a special kind of like six man with, with put him in that role. Maybe he, it's even like a James Harden OKC role where he's still playing starters minutes, but he's coming off the bench for fit reasons. Um, but what's really going to determine his ceiling to me is defense because we, we talked about his wingspan yeah. earlier. If he can add defense, all of a sudden, then yeah, it can be viable for him to play with Garland. Um, and KPJ even because they have so much length out there and it's going to be interesting because we've seen the flashes of the defense but it feels like with the offensive load he shoulders sometimes that takes away from it but with next season like if they do add another perimeter player do you do you think that's going to be kind of like the the sticking point for them that hey if you're going to get the, the real minutes, if you're going to be a starter playing 36 minutes a game and closing games, is it going to be kind of a, an emphasis on the defensive end? Like, how, how do you think they're, they're going to create accountability when it comes to Sexton and the, the other guys as well, I guess? It starts with defense. That's the best way for this team to grow internally. I think that's the best way to make these guys accountable and get them to buy in and, and be a true team. Um, it's very, very difficult in the NBA when you're giving up 115 to 120 points a night. It's very, very difficult when you're running out the worst defense in the history of the NBA by certain metrics. Mm -hmm. um, the only team that was in the bottom third of the NBA in defensive rating and made the postseason was the Blazers, <laughs> by the way, the team that the Cavs have pointed to about trying to model after. Um, but they did that with a great offense. And they did that with so many different injuries throughout the course of the regular season. So it's hard to point to that and say, oh, all right, we're just going to duplicate that. And we're going to be so good offensively that we're going to be okay with what we give up defensively. Like the Cavs aren't that, that team. They aren't at that point offensively. Mm -hmm. So it starts on defense. But I think the other big thing with Colin guys is, does he make the right play consistently enough? Right. Because look, like, yeah, Darius is the quote-unquote point guard, but Colin's such a high-usage player, and he's going to have the ball in his hand so much that he's going to have to show that consistently he can make the right play. He can make the right pass. It's great that he can score. The Cavs need him to be that kind of scorer because they don't have anybody else that can go out and get 20 to 25 points a night consistently. Mm -hmm. Like. Kevin Love's not that guy anymore. 
he hasn't shown that he can be that guy anymore. So they need that from Colin. But to be that all-around player, to take that next step in his evolution, it's those two areas that really are going to determine his value. Oh, absolutely. And and that's one of the reasons why I like the Donovan Mitchell comp, not just because they're the same kind of size and length. It's both teams kind of seem to understand that we need to have them with another playmaker. I mean, Utah address that with Mike Conley, the Cavs might do yep. it in the future with either Kevin Porter Jr. growing into that role, a point forward, it could Darius Garland. We don't know what it's going to be, but it is encouraging to hear that defense is going to be a priority. And um, God, it, freaks me out that in a draft where they, there's quite a few really good defensive prospects here. I mean, you have a Kong Wu who really is kind of like in the Tristan Thompson mold. It'd be great if you could have yep. them both there, even though it seems unlikely. Um, you, you got a Coral Vassell who, who I really like as a ready plug and play player. And then you got Obi Toppin who maybe if they're, they're not playing Kevin Love as much, uh, there, there's some logic there from an offensive standpoint. I think he's going to be fun, but my God, that does not help the needs on defense. <laughs> yep. You're right about that. I mean, to me, and I have labeled that on the podcast, Wine and Gold Talk podcast and on cleveland.com is the nightmare scenario because the only way that the Cavs are going to become competent and relevant and, and take the steps that they want to take as an organization is by improving on defense. Mm-hmm. And Obi Toppin is not going to help them with that. Like there are some people that are trying to convince themselves that maybe in the future, because of his athleticism, because of what Kyle Kuzma has been able to do defensively this year for the Lakers, and because of some other examples of guys with the athleticism and I guess with the foundational skills uh, that Obi has, that maybe in the future he can become a better, more respectable defender. Mm-hmm. But it's like... I don't see how the Cavs, with a glaring need on the wing um, and with so much needed help on the defensive end, could justify an offensive player like Obi. Like, yeah. to me, Especially it if they're has trying to... to be Vassell. It oh, has I, to I be Okoro. It has to be one of those two guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if they want to start trending towards winning now, drafting a guy that, I mean, maybe you can play him a little bit at the five, but realistically, that is natural position he's behind Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr and Nance was right. probably one of the most productive players on the team last year yeah. it's uh yeah it, it's it's a difficult decision I understand kind of the allure um personally I, I think the only team that really makes sense for Obi is Golden State I, I think that's kind of a natural fit for him there um mm-hmm. but Vassell it only, I, work, it only makes sense if he's a superstar and and all and we kind of have underestimated his ceiling, right? Like yeah, the right. only way it really functions for this team is if he's yeah. a 25 and 10 guy and very, very efficient at that. Yeah. And, and yep. he, I mean, he's a, he's a big man and, and those are easier to find where I feel like legitimate three and D wings, even though everyone says, Oh yeah, just go add a three and D wing, get some role players that do three <laughs> and D. Those are the hardest things to find in the NBA. Yeah. It's, it's like finding a quarterback in the NFL. It's, it's, if you have a chance, if you have that draft capital to draft high, go take right. Devin Vassell. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm all for it. But Chris, we don't want to take up too much of your time. We really, really appreciate all the insight. This was a ton of fun. Um, you, you did a fabulous plug there, uh, Cleveland.com and Wine Gold Podcast. Uh, that, that was a that was a pros pro plug there. Really appreciate it. Not my I, first time, guys. 
<laughs> Absolutely. A anything else you want to uh, let people know about uh, coming up here before we wrap it up? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I've been I've been working on these um, these draft profiles with some of these guys. I've I've spent a lot of time on the phone uh, talking to Leonard Hamilton at Florida State, Andy Enfield of USC, just to kind of get to know these guys a lot better. So. I have some of those profiles that are going to be dropping in the next week, week and a half. Um, I've talked to people from USA basketball. I've talked to people from the high school ranks. I've talked to as many people as possible to try and get like a fair perspective of some of these prospects, because honestly, like information on these guys is really hard to come by these days because nobody has anything when it comes to this pre-draft process. There's just not as much available um, as what normally is. So hopefully I'll have those things in the next week, week and a half, which hopefully will give uh, you guys and fans some more insight into who these guys are and, and who may be the best pick for the Cavs at five. Well, we're well, desperate for content, Chris. So please, we, we really please are. don't we're, stop. We're, we're, we're like the hyenas <laughs> in Lion King. We just, we just laugh on the periphery and uh, take away the scraps. We're, we're no longer in the aggregating game, so that's nice. But uh, we're, we're dying for anything. If you can whisper in someone's ear for the Cavs to, to televise some scrimmages, like we're, we're dying. I, I want yeah, to see what anything, these guys Chris. Look like. <laughs> but um, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. I hate to break it to you. If if they give us anything, it's not going to happen until next week when it comes to the mini camp bubble that they're going into. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's that's what I'm really hoping for that we get some of it. I mean, I want to hear the uh, oh, Darius Garland looks like the player they thought they drafted. Kevin Porter Jr. is the next <laughs> Jimmy Butler. Sexton's the next Mitchell. I want all of that. I'm I'm, I'm going to be snorting up any good news I can find. But really, really appreciate your time, Ed. Uh, again, uh, Cleveland.com Wine and Gold Talk podcast and support his podcast the same way you support us, which is leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. We appreciate all of your support, no matter how you choose to do it. Stay safe out there. Big thanks to all our listeners. Big thanks to Chris. Thanks to Carter. And until next time, go Cavs.